Hello there, and welcome to the debut episode of Chatting Chippewas. I'm really excited to get this podcast going and certainly hope you enjoy it. Just to give you a quick run through, this podcast is going to be about Chippewas, current student athletes, current coaches, and assistant coaches just wanting to tell their story. Certainly asking them questions about the sport that they're involved in, how they got there, but also their backstory. So we're going to have a guest each week, and you know, sometimes like this episode, we're going to have an extra guest as well. It may be someone that used to be a head coach or used to be a Chippewa and now is an alum or just someone that's been around the program or the athletic department. Who knows? But for certain, we want to talk to Chippewas specifically and want to stick to the current student-athletes and coaches. So I think it's going to be really fun. We're also going to give you an update of what's going on in CMU Athletics each week. We'll do a, a quick segment and take a tour around CMU Athletics and see how teams are doing. So certainly hope you, you tune in, planning on doing it every couple of weeks. You can find this on the podcast page on cmuchipwas.com. If you go to the front page of the website and hover over fans, then click podcast, you can go and visit all of the latest episodes will be available, not only for this podcast, but also for CMU Athletics Connection with Amy Fullen. Also, the Coach Mac podcast, by the way, we're expecting to drop another episode of that before CMU's first game this Friday at Michigan State. And, of course, here, the Chatting Chippewas, it'll all be there. You can also go to the podcast app and under Maroon and Gold Podcasts, find all three of those episodes or find all three of those podcasts as well. So let's start with a quick update. We do have two guests today. I talked with Marion Lukes for Central Michigan football, one of the running backs for the Chippewas, and also it was super fun to talk with uh, the legend, Herb Duramity. He had some great stories. I wanted to chat with him about all the history between Central Michigan and Michigan State. He led those 1991-92 teams in there to victory. So those are your two guests today. But going on, it's an exciting time at Central Michigan right now. The students are back in full force. I'm recording this on Monday night, uh, first day of class. Yesterday uh, on Sunday was the student-athlete picnic at the Central Michigan Soccer Lacrosse Complex. So all the student-athletes out there playing games, getting some food, and just kind of welcoming them back for a new year. And then, obviously, sports are underway. Field hockey is the team that got the first win of the new year. Uh, they beat Colgate 3-2 to on Friday. Shannon Dwyer got the game-winning goal in the 58th minute. So they're now 1-1, one and, one, and uh, field hockey, they'll come home. There's a lot going on this Friday to kick off September. They will open against Old Dominion on Friday. So you can catch Central Michigan field hockey in action. Also, women's soccer, they had their first home game on Sunday, they tied 0-0 zero zero against Wright State. They now have two ties to open the year. Uh, they tied at Detroit Mercy 3-3. Three three. But uh, very cool. On Sunday, uh, Allison LaPointe was back in goal for them. And uh, she hadn't played goalkeeper since 2021. So great to have her back and help the Chippewas preserve the shutout and um, start the year with those couple of ties. They will have some difficult tests. They're going to head to Cincinnati and then they will head to Louisville coming up this weekend on Thursday and Sunday. Another team that got underway, Central Michigan Volleyball. They had a tough outing at the Southeast Missouri State Invitational over the weekend. Chippewas dropped three against Southern Illinois, Southeast Missouri State, and Evansville. So not the start that Coach Golick was looking for, but the good news, they get to come back to McGurk Arena. And the Chippewas of any sport 
that get to compete inside McGurk Arena. They love the home atmosphere. The Chippewa Invitational this Friday, yes, September 1st. That's going to be a theme here, a lot going on. They will take on Albany and St. Louis on Friday and then Bradley on Saturday. So pretty cool. All those teams will come in, compete Friday and Saturday at the Chippewa Invitational. Okay, so we've got field hockey at home on Friday. We've got Central Michigan Volleyball home Friday and Saturday. How about the lone men's and women's cross-country home meet on Friday as well? It's the 38th annual Jeff Drenth Memorial. It'll be in Shepherd, so make sure you go out and catch uh, the men's and women's cross-country teams. The women are going to start running at 11, and the men will start running at 11.35. You go to cmuchippewas.com, you can get more information, kind of the outlay of the course there in Shepherd. So you got all those going on and then the uh, Agaming Invitational is this Sunday September 3rd and uh, on Monday September 4th for Central Michigan Women's Golf so pretty cool they're going to go out there and compete in one of their tournaments here in the state of Michigan it's a beautiful setting up there so you've got women's golf men's and women's cross country Central Michigan volleyball women's soccer field hockey all of that going on and oh by the way yes there's a big football game in East Lansing. Central Michigan taking on Michigan State. 12th meeting. Chippewas trying to go to Spartan Stadium for a fourth time and come back with a victory. And this is a this is a cool nugget. We'll talk about this on, on the broadcast. But in the last 100-plus years, the only Michigan Mac school to beat Michigan or Michigan State is your Chippewas. They've done it, of course, three times in the last 30 years with their win in 91 then doing it again in 92, and then most recently in 2009. So some things align for the Chippewas to potentially get an upset again Friday night under the lights. We'll see if they can do it. It's going to be a raucous crowd. Michigan State, Central Michigan, 7 o'clock. It'll be on FS1. You certainly can catch us on the Varsity Network app as our pregame will begin at 6 o'clock. So that's just a quick update. We kept it short with uh, the CMU Athletics update today because – as mentioned, we've got two great interviews. Marion Lukes, you know about this guy a little bit. He's kind of been waiting in the wings with Miles Bailey behind Lou Nichols, the nation's leading rusher in 2021. Wait until you hear about his story off the field, though, and the type of responsibility that he has as uh, a young 21-year-old that he's had now for five years. He's got a son, and we talked all about that. So you're going to hear from Marion Lukes, and then following We'll catch up with the legend, Herb Duramity. Tell us some stories about those wins in East Lansing, and let's hope that Central Michigan can do it again. Thanks so much for, for listening. Hope to have you along each week. Here's our first guest, Marion Lukes. All right, it's our debut episode and our first guest on Chatting Chippewas, Marion Lukes. A lot of pressure here. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Appreciate you bringing on me on here for the first time. <laughs> well, I appreciate you because you were just telling me a little bit about your schedule in fall camp. You, you're a busy man. What What have you been up to? Well, we start off our mornings probably getting in here around 7 o'clock. Uh, we have either a lift or a set of meetings to start everything off. So we'll do our meetings do a lift or a walkthrough and they, they separate it they do a good job separating it so offense will lift and then defense will lift offense will lift then defense will have a walkthrough and then we'll have our walkthrough after today to get done lifting or whatever so let's get, we, they kind of separate us so we don't really get to see the defense too much in the mornings until you know time to actually go through our practice or whatever 
So then um, after after our walkthroughs and our lift, we get to have a nice like two hour break so we can eat, get a little bit of rest or whatever. Then we come right back in here, have another set of meetings. Then we go back out for practice. We get done with practice. They let us go straight from practice. They they feed us in between all this too. Uh, then we leave practice. We come back, have another set of meetings. So all in all, we're here from around seven o'clock to like nine at night. <laughs> My yeah. goodness, uh, this is this is a full time job and then some. Oh yeah, it's definitely a full time job. And on top of that. Um, Please call me out for being the bad guy. I'm taking away your two-hour free time here. Oh uh, no, nah, it's, it's no biggie. <laughs> well, let's start there. What do you What do you typically do to try and take your mind off football when you get a couple hours just to hopefully relax for a second before you're right back into it? What do you do during this time? Well, now me being sort of a veteran, I kind of understand that staying in the facility is probably the best thing for you. Me personally, I don't normally leave unless I have to go. Other than me having to let my dogs out. Um, I just stay in the facility. I, I, I normally fall asleep in the locker room. I got my own little cot. It's like a little uh, camping cot, fold-up <laughs> one. You buy from Walmart, about $30. Other you people just, take it with <laughs> <you>. <laughs> just bring it right <laughs> into my truck. But I just uh, unfold that, sleep on it, and then I normally put the NormTech, the legs on. So it's just I'm able to get a little bit of recovery in while I'm sleeping. I go in there, hit the tubs every day right before practice for about 30 minutes to get my legs warm before we – get to running and stuff because these camp legs towards the end of camp, you can feel them. <laughs> Some heavy legs, I oh, bet. Oh, yeah, <laughs> very heavy. You said you got a couple dogs? Oh, yeah, I got two dogs. Oh, me and my roommate, Nairi, we have our own dogs, but BJ's basically mine because I, I take care of him just as much as he takes care of my dog, Trunks. But, yeah, they're two pit bulls. They just turned one. So now, you know, they're in a little bit of a rowdy stage, and they spend a lot of the time in the cage during um, – during the camp but we have people going in and letting them out while whenever we can't so they they get out about four or five times they're kind of spoiled <laughs> compared to other teams like other teammates dogs did you guys get the dogs together or yeah we got them together they're from the same litter actually i think it was me uh nairi quezzy uh javon gant i think yeah we all got the same litter of dogs it was like seven in the litter and we done took four of them so <laughs> oh my goodness that's awesome and you named yours trunks yep, you said trunks how'd you come up with that uh uh dragon ball z <laughs> <laughs> okay. there we go that makes sense yep. well very cool so you guys literally are dogs you got dogs on the team yep, right dog. i mean that's that's pretty cool okay so you got class to go to you got football to go to you've also got dogs to watch after you also have to have some type of social life and on top of that, you have a son. And I yep. want to hear about uh, Kingston, your your youngster that you've got. How are you managing all this? And tell us about this young man. Uh, Kingston Nicholas Loops is his name. He was born uh, October 10th at 510 and at 2017. Um, I was actually 14 when he was conceived. I was 15 when he was born. So it was uh, – it was, it was a big thing for me because I had to step up in a lot of ways. I don't say I had uh, – I had a lot of things I had to mature. I had to uh, get ready for that type of life, and I didn't know what it was. I was going into it very, very not ready. As much as I can say, I just wasn't ready. My dad and my mom, they did a terrific job in helping me out in everything that I needed and still still giving me um, the ability to not just be solely focused on that thing, and they made it to where I was able to to, to do other things and um, – my my dad he he basically put it in my head that you could you could either be the guy that that everyone expects you to be your your 
a kid that had a kid <laughs> and you could you can fall off and just be basically somebody no one looks up to or you could be the guy that's like well he did it he had a kid and he went out to college and he made it to the league so i can do it you know and that's always i always wanted to be like that i always wanted people to look up to me and uh, it was tough at times you know especially the mental part because i didn't have no i didn't have a lot of friends in high school um people were deterred from me whenever they had figured that out so it wasn't it, it was kind of like uh i was outcasted in a certain way because people don't expect that from a freshman in high school to be having a kid and uh, i wasn't a big football name at the time so that didn't really play no factor in it and so i had to build that and my son he definitely did he he did his part by just being there and just you know coming to all the games and then I'm seeing I'm scoring I look up and he has his hands up <laughs> at the touchdown symbol and stuff so that just that type of stuff it just um it pushed me to elevate my game in so many different ways and I used to wake up before school and go train with my trainer and stuff and I'd get up at five o'clock school started at seven so I'm driving about ten minutes across the bridge just to go train uh and then go right back to school, go do all that stuff in school, have our practice, and then I'm going right back across the bridge to go train again with Chris Vaughn at Aspirations. And uh, he, he, him himself, he, he done a lot for me too. He, uh, he was a great mentor. He, he showed me what I had to do to get to where I'm at now and not only get to where I'm at, but to keep going and to get to where I want to be and, and to reach my goals. You mentioned it, kind of being that, that outcast in high school and you having to – block everybody else out and kind of change the perspective of who you are as a person just because I have a son you're different but it doesn't mean it's different in a negative way so how did you at a young age I mean you're still just 21 years old but you mentioned you're 14 15 years old how did you mentally stay positive throughout that when you have people thinking whatever they want to think it it was hard but you know I got I got a lot of brothers and a lot of sisters so it's like I'm I'm not having any friends, it was it was kind of okay to me because I'm coming home and I'm able to hang out with all my brothers and you know they're loving me no matter what and they love my son just as much as they would love their own son. So like, it hurt you know not having like people to you know like hang out with outside of school or nothing like that. But it just it, it really fueled me you know because it was like oh nobody you know people don't you know, people don't understand so I'm just gonna make you understand. So when I hit that field, I just I hit it with not even a chip on my shoulder but a chip on my mind because it, it, it took a toll on me and I, I had to make everyone understand that it's okay like it's not a mistake it's God's plan and now you just gotta have to live through it <laughs> do you appreciate that I mean having a, a youngster like that I imagine that matures you so fast do you appreciate that aspect of it I definitely do because I, I come where I come from I see a lot of kids that that could be where I'm at and could be playing college ball that had the the talent but they didn't have the drive they had the talent or they didn't have the mindset so I felt like having Kingston at such a young age it gave me the drive and the mindset it it slowed me down because you know when you're young you're living at life a million miles a minute and having a child and having something that you have to look after and protect and you know have to show hey this is how this is how a true man lives his life um it, it it will it'll make you look at things a lot differently. So me growing up, I didn't go to prom. I didn't go to homecoming. I didn't go to the school dances. I didn't go hang out and party whenever, oh, you got the party after this game. I, I don't I don't I didn't get that. 
Uh, it was, yeah, I was running for 300 yards that game, three touchdowns, and everyone was like, oh, let's go party. Oh, no, I, I don't get that. I got to go home and make sure my son, he sees my face after this because he might grow up one day and be a big star, and I want him to understand you come home after that. Like, you don't you don't go and party and throw your life away because it just takes one split second for you to mess it up. You get You gain respect over years. You can lose it in a second. And you took that responsibility too, right? I mean, you still have a decision after you have a child to go and, and do what any other young high schooler would do or you do what you did and you step up and you be a dad. That seems like that was important to you. Oh, it very much was because I've seen it. I've seen kids have kids and, and then they just not there. And it's it's not it's not only statistics, it's, re, it's reality. And that affects the child in, in, a, in a, a more drastic, a dramatic way than – anyone could even understand and I just you know I love my son I, I just needed to be in his life my father was in my life and I felt like I he deserves it and you know I deserve to have that connection with my son so it was a very big thing for me well you're up in Mount Pleasant I, I think I read something that when you were making your college decision you you're, you're from Charlestown uh, you wanted to be within I think like seven or eight hours from home so that you could manage with your family and obviously with your son how often do you get to see him? I get to see him. He comes to almost – he comes went to every game these past two years. Only game I think he missed was, I want to say, Ball State because it was his birthday or his birthday weekend. He wanted to stay back home and go to where – I don't even remember. Some little center where they have fun or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to stay home for that. So, But uh, other than that, he, he comes up during the summers whenever I'm not – you know, too busy and before fall camp, obviously. But then every time you can ask these coaches, every time they tell me, "Hey, y'all got a three days, two days off," I'm I'm gone. They they the first, only thing they tell me is drive slow because uh, they know I'm up out of here. Got to go see my son. That's right. What what's best too is uh, he's five years old. He's gonna be six, as you mentioned, in October. But this is around that age where they start to have a personality yeah. a little bit and take after. Does he have some uh, some of dad's traits? Oh yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's his own little man already. He's super smart. I don't know if you if you can see the difference, but these kids nowadays with these iPads now they can they they gain so much knowledge so fast. So they their vocabulary is insane. Like my son is he comes and starts talking to me and using crazy words. I'm like, how do you know this? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You don't even know what you're talking about right now. But he, he's super funny, and I, I just I miss him every second. And uh, I keep him in the back of my phone case. I keep a picture of his baby picture in the back of my phone case. I keep him in my locker. He's in my car. He's everywhere. So I just uh, I try to make him a part of everything, even though he's not able to be up here with me all the time. I try to make his experience of having a dad that's far away, I try to make it as best as possible. And it, it, it does get difficult sometimes because going through a schedule like, us student athletes go through and it doesn't matter if just football or not the student athletes in general of having a kid on top of that and him not and them not being here it's uh it's difficult to manage your time because you know you got to deal with classes you got to deal with the, the the program you got to deal with your social life and friends all that stuff um it, it sometimes you it's not that you forget but it's you overlook and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit up here and say that there's not hasn't been nights where Oh, I want to call him, but it's already eleven o'clock, mm -hmm. and he's, he's he got school in the morning, so he's just gonna have to take that one on the chin. Try to catch him in the morning before you know everything's going on. For I gotta go to meetings before he wakes up, so it uh it is difficult, but you know we make it work. 
Is Kingston a football fan, and how much does he enjoy <laughs> his dad playing? Kingston is a huge football fan. As he, he tells me all the time, I want to be just like you when I grow up. And that in itself is uh, it's the biggest compliment anyone can ever give you. And your son telling you that he wants to be just like you. And then it, it sets you on the straight and narrow because if he wants to be just like me, well, he got to – I got to make sure that myself is – how I want to see him in a few years. I don't want to see him in 20 years. So um, he is, he's a huge football fan. He loves it. Every time he comes up to the game, he's running around. And, you know, he, we, he's one of the kids they, that the police have to be watching on the <laughs> sidelines, so he's not running out there trying to get to his dad. But uh, Coach Mack, he's done a great job in the way that he's treated him. Every time he comes up here, Coach Mack wants to have him in his arms and stuff like that. All the coaches love him, love him my son. So – this is a great place for him. So he likes coming up here. He always talking about how he wants to come to Michigan. And there, I get told stories about him in class, talking about my dad as a football player in Michigan. So it's it's a great feeling to know that he, he respects what I do and he, he enjoys watching me play. Is he going to be in East Lansing for game one this year? Oh, yeah, he's definitely going to be there. Man, in front of that <laughs> big crowd, that that's a lot for a five-year-old. Yeah, he's a little guy, so you might not be able to spot him <laughs> that easy, but he's definitely going to be there. Does he have a does he have a, a CMU number nine jersey or oh, what's he wear on game day? He has all sorts of stuff. My <laughs> mom has made sure he got all sorts of stuff. And he he got the, the jackets, the jerseys, he got everything. A homemade shirt with my face on him, pictures of me holding him from all the way back in Missouri when we played him my freshman year. He still has those shirts, so he 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 got everything he can get. <laughs> and I understand you have a tattoo of when he was born on one of your arms. Yeah, right? I got a uh, I got a tattoo it's a clock it tells his birthday his birth time which was 5 10 10 10 and 2017 wow and gotta make sure and that's my that's my first tattoo i got that when i was 16 years old and it's more it's more or less just every time i look down at that it just it's a constant symbol because sometimes i can't i can't carry my phone on the field mm. but i can look down at my arm and get that remembrance of hey this is what you do it for is this bigger than you and that's uh, obviously it's a podcast, so they can't see. But it's on <laughs> <laughs> it's on your left forearm, so yeah. sometimes that's where that ball's tucked exactly, when you're running with yeah. it, right? If if I'm not, he gets to touch it just as every time I touch <laughs> it too. And I'm a le I'm a lefty too, so I like to carry the ball on my left. So that's very cool. Well, uh, I mean, hey, we we call you Marion Luke's, but maybe <laughs> we should start calling you Kingston's dad. That's a, that's <laughs> yes, a great story. That is great. All right, well, tell me about um, growing up, because before you had Kingston, you have a massive family. <laughs> tell me about these guys. Yeah, so I have a, a I would say a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> a zoo of siblings, and we grew up with each other my, my whole life. I don't know, before I was born, I know that, that some of my siblings were separated, but whenever I was born, we was all together. And it wasn't the easiest, you know, feeding 11, 12 kids at a time. And I understand, you know, some nights that it didn't, it didn't, not all of us was able to, you know, eat as well as what we should have. But my dad did a good job at uh, using that as his own motivation. And I'm, I look up to my dad in, in, in the most respectable way because we grew, we grew up poor, but he made it to where he put himself in great positions and he grinded. And I didn't get to see him a lot when I was younger because he was he was doing that. He went to college while having all of us in the same household. I remember being my son's age on his lap when he's downstairs working for his degree in the basement on an old computer that barely was able to run and would get the spinning wheel of death in every 20 minutes. But um, 
he made do of what he could. My mom, she did an amazing job keeping the household together as best as she could. You know, having 11, 12 kids in the house at the same time, that's that's extremely difficult, especially being a stay-at-home mom, because when we're all home at, at once, like I said, it's just That's zoo. more than a full-time job. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we, we weren't horrible kids, but we weren't the best. We used to get into trouble. We used to have people pull up to the house, knocking on our doors, talking about your your kids were in my yard, my backyard, doing Those this. Those Luke's and kids, doing, yeah. man. And <laughs> we'd pull up to the park and all the other kids would run away. <laughs> but uh, you know, it was it was an amazing thing to be able to do that. And that's what that's having all those having all my brothers and sisters, it uh it made me not need nobody else. It made me be like, Oh, I can just come home to them. But it was uh it was a very fun experience. And you go from generation to generation. I mean, you watch how your parents raised you guys, and I feel you have that same sense of uh, responsibility now with your own son. Maybe you're not there all the time, but you hope that he respects how hard you're working to try and be successful to help him in the long run. Oh, absolutely. You know, he might not understand it completely right now, but as he grows older, hopefully – you know, I'm, as I'm reaching my goals and my dreams, all the other little kids start to, oh, I want to, I wish that your dad was my dad. And, you know, that's just little stuff like that. It just, you know, I know it's going to make him feel good. It's going to make him like, oh, maybe my dad was really doing some, some very special things. And it can put it in his own head that, hey, I can do some very special things myself because I come from him. All right. So your son is five. I want to go back to around that age for you because I believe you started playing football at four years old yeah I started playing football when I was four years old uh I tried to well I think the they wanted me to be five but I kept crying <laughs> I, would, I would not stop crying and I, I, I refused to leave the field and so the uh I, f- I forgot who the owner of like our little program I think his name was like Danny or something like that uh he he, he came over and he said all right we'll let the Luke's kid play and ever since then I from the jump I was just you know always faster and everybody always doing my thing and they they try to they try to set rules against me because <laughs> I would score too much. They they would only let me touch the ball like once every two series or three series because I I was scoring every time. My goodness, yeah. So the w- the rule was you could only touch the ball once every three series yes. because you were just scoring every time you touched every it. Every time they get it was like the first game they gave me the ball and I had ran I had ran the opposite way because I had seen my mom. So I ran to the other end zone. And my mom pointed to the other end zone, <laughs> and I ran all the way there and scored. <laughs> oh, my god! <laughs> and nobody goodness. could touch me. And then after that, my mom told me basically what the coaches told me whenever I came to the next practice that I was barely going to be able to play for real. And I was only four four years old. <laughs> and you were playing quarterback, right? When did you transition into running back? So I played quarterback almost my whole life. I played quarterback on, all throughout Pee Wee, well, um, throughout Pee Wee and stuff, you know. They let they let their best athlete play quarterback. So I fell in love with the position naturally just because they let me play it. And then I looked up to a guy named Michael Vick. So it just it, it did. I wore number seven. I was the whole deal. I like to accessorize and all that stuff. So uh, I played quarterback up until my sophomore year in high school. I, I had went to Floyd Central my freshman year where I played quarterback, but they already had their set guy in stone, and he was only a sophomore. So I was basically like, yeah, I'm probably not going to play. They tried to move me to running back, but even then they weren't really playing me because they had their own running back there already. Uh, transferred to Charlestown my sophomore year. Went there to play quarterback. There, My head coach's dad, well, we call him Big Hawk, uh, he had went to me after I think it was our third game, 
and he had told my head coach while I was there, if you put him at running back, he's going to be the best back in the country. And I, I was like, no, I'm not playing no running back. I'm a quarterback. I like to throw the ball. I like to do my own thing. Next thing I know, they tell me I got I to gotta switch. I went home crying again, mad at the world, telling my dad I didn't want to play no more. Went back to practice. Next thing you know, we play Scottsburg, 300-some yard, three touchdowns. All she wrote. <laughs> Stuck at running back ever since then. Fell in love with it. You had, uh, what, I think over 5,400 yards in three years and like 64 touchdowns. I feel yeah. like it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Numbers speak for themselves. I, I had started to enjoy myself. Once I really got into the transition, you know, once I got around my, my the people that were helping me out and build me up for that, for, for college, I just the position it, it's the best. You get to do everything. You get to you get to catch the ball, you get to run the ball, and you get to block. You really get the best of all worlds. And now here you are. You you come up to Central Michigan and uh tell us about what it's been like here at CMU. How how you got here and, and your thoughts on Mount Pleasant and playing for this uh tradition rich football program. As I got to like actually be around the place it's it's not it's not too different than you know where I'm from other than the fact that about three minutes four minutes away is a very big city but uh it's not it's not too different uh this I like I like the way that it's laid out small it's close everybody's near each other so all I got to do is hop in the car drive two minutes away and I'm near some of my teammates so uh I've enjoyed it you know first getting here though was it was very football wise it was it was troubling because I was 150 pounds. So being on the field at 150 pounds playing running back in college, not a lot of people understand that type <laughs> of feeling. Every time you're getting hit, it feels like a tank's running over <laughs> you. <So. laughs> I mean, I just – but uh, the coaches here, they, they did a good job with uh, being on top of my weight and, you know, pushing me to, to be the best that I could be. And I was, I was scared that they were going to try to switch my position to defense playing corner or something like that. So – it was uh it was nerve wracking. It was it was fun being a, being away from home for the first time, but it was also scary at the same time because you never know what's gonna happen. I'm f so far away from my son, any an emergency can happen. It's not like I can just fly away and be there in a second. There's been some big moments too since you've got here. 2021, you kind of burst on the scene with that kickoff return right oh out yeah. the stadium <laughs> here against Eastern Michigan to yeah. open the second half. And then last year at Akron specifically, this is the one I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, you guys as a team collectively had so many injuries, uh, which partly was the reason the, the season was a struggle. But tell us about that Akron game where you put up nearly 250 all-purpose yards and, and what that moment was like for you. It was a special moment. Well, as soon as we figured out that Lou wasn't going to play, I had talked to my dad and my folks about it. And they were like, well, you'll, you'll probably get a big opportunity to show what you've got. I just prayed to God, and I'd asked him that he'd give me the ability to use all my gifts and to showcase the world and what I could do. And then once we got there, um, I just felt good. The The weather was nice. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. The day just felt right. It was nice and sunny out. And uh, I just felt that, that everything was on my side that day. They threw me in there the first carry. And it didn't – my first carry didn't go that well, actually. I, I I almost lost some yards. But as I got, like, my groove and stuff and they kept giving me the ball, it just felt like everybody was starting to slide off of me and I was starting to break off big runs. And 
I got that excitement in my heart again, just like I had in high school. And I was like, oh, this isn't that hard. <laughs> is, that, is that one of those moments where you're like, yeah, I do belong out yeah, here. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Y'all ain't as good as I thought <laughs> I was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Uh, 26 rushes, 160 yards, couple touchdowns, one through the air as well. You had four receptions, 71 yards. And you had a little bit of an injury last year too, right? Yeah, I did. I had uh, torn some ligaments on the outside of my ankle. And uh, they wanted to sit me for the rest of the season. But me just being how I am, I, if I'm able to play, I'm playing. I don't care if it hurts. I don't care if it, y'all are telling me, oh, you get injured in the same way, you'll probably never play again. Nah, I know I, I pray enough for God. He's going to be on my side. And I just keep everything in my heart. And I I, I just, you know, give it a, my 100%. And if, it, if, it, if anything bad was to happen, it was meant to be that way. So I don't, I don't worry about my injury no more. You gain 11, 12 more pounds coming into this year. I think you're up around 200, maybe a little bit heavier than that. But you look physically fit, muscular, ready to go for this season. Before we talk a little bit about this season, what have you learned uh, through your first couple of years here in Mount Pleasant that you think has helped prepare you for this season? Well, my first thing I had to learn was patience, not only because I was not going to be able to play right away because we mm -hmm. had star Lou Nichols here, but you know, I just I had to slow down. I had to slow the game down for myself. I was just trying to run so fast, and I would put myself in awkward situations where I couldn't get out of it. But uh, Coach Jackson, he had, he had he had showed me how to slow the game down and how to properly read defenses. And after you after you learn how to properly read the fronts and how the safeties are rotating and where blitzes are come from, all oh, everything just it just it just easy. And um, those are just things that all rookies got to learn just how to get the game to your pace if you can get the game to your pace everything will go in your favor not only that you know obviously I had to get bigger but uh just learning how to use my speed not I don't have to go fast every second I can pace it I can I can slow down make you slow down then speed up to where you can't speed up as fast as I can and just you know break off big runs that way and just use my body type and learn how to will show the coaches how they have they they should use me basically and just through practice and stuff like that staying consistent going in there each day and just acting like it's a game day you know because there's going to be days especially through camp as we get to the ending parts of camp but um you're gonna you're gonna feel like you're hurting you're gonna feel like ah, it's not worth it to go full speed this play because i know i'm gonna be in their next play and they might give me the ball i don't want to be too tired and just just getting that out of my head, beating my own, the inner the inner me that doesn't want to give a whole 100%, that, that inner voice that tells you, hey, you, no, it's not worth it. You got to beat that. Once you learn how to beat that and you, you learn how to slow the game down, just you're, you're basically going to be what you're meant to be. The other thing that's got to help, you mentioned Lou Nichols. Uh, you have Miles Bailey. Uh, Mr. Harris comes in from Missouri. You've got great backs in the running room this year. You've had great backs in the past. There's a great tradition of excellent offensive linemen here. I mean, that competitiveness, the great talent around you, that's got to make you better alone. Oh, yeah. The competitive nature in that running back room, the tension <laughs> is, is so easy to see. You can you can really cut it with a knife. Even when Lou was here, it wasn't like, at pra it, wasn't like it was just him at practice making plays. We're all making plays. We're all breaking off big runs. We're all in the meeting rooms like, oh, my, how did you do that? Like, we're all in there doing our thing, but um, it's it's not it's not to where it's like oh we don't like each other. It's it's a very tight knit room. Um, it's all love in there, you know. 
and and I respect them boys and I would I would do whatever they needed me to do and um Lou was he was a very he was a a very good person to learn after watching the way that he ran and watching the things that he done not necessarily me me and him don't have necessarily the same body type or whatever mm-hmm. but uh just being able to see the things that he was able to do just gave me the confidence to be like oh I I can do some of those things too is oh they they're letting him make a miss. I can definitely make a miss too. But uh, he was a, he was a great guy to have around. He's an older guy, very good leader. Showed you the type of leadership that you would have to, you know, have to have everybody's respect on the team, and the type of way you have to carry yourself to earn the coach's respect as well. You have aspirations. You've set it to try and get to the next level, like Lou Nichols. Do you stay in touch and kind of pick his brain about how things are going and what you need to be doing to get to that spot yourself? Well, so yeah, me and Lou talked last week. Actually, uh, he had met one of my buddies that for that me and him trained together named Carrington Valentine. He got drafted by them. He plays corner. Uh, he got drafted in the seventh round uh, by Green Bay. He was me and him was chatted up about how we knew each other and stuff. So uh, he, me and him, we keep in contact and. You know, I'm not I'm not gonna be blowing his phone up because I know he, he obviously he's an NFL now. He's a big star out there, so <laughs> he got his own things he got to deal with. He got his own media days and stuff, so I get it. You know, I'm curious. Jaden Reed, the the Michigan State wide receiver, got taken I think in like the second round by the Packers. So I wonder if there's maybe some <laughs> competitiveness between oh Lou yeah. and him going into this first game. Oh yeah, there definitely is. I know that they're they're over there talking <laughs> talking their game or whatever. He's gonna be talking about we're we're Michigan State, Big Ten. Oh yeah, whatever. I know Lou got Lou got our back. He's gonna be holding it down for us, so I'm not worried about that. I love that. Well, for you and and the other backs, I mean, so much is talked about Lou Nichols and being the nation's leading rusher in 2021, and then you have the the season last year where there's injuries and expectations weren't quite as what you guys thought. So now this year, do you have that feeling of you're ready to kind of announce yourselves as a team, but also one of these running backs, you have a chance to kind of step up and take that lead role. Yeah. I've just been preparing myself for it. You know, it's been years in the making. I didn't start off that way, obviously. It's a, it's a building process. You lay it foundation and brick by brick after that. And um, I'm ready for it. I, I, I'm i going to continue to build so I can continue to put myself in the best situation, you know, keep cont- constant preparation. It, it, it eliminates the need for luck, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, and having Miles there to help me out along the way, it, it's been great. You know, it's been constant competition since we've been here since day one it's been me versus him but in a healthy way he's my best friend he's probably one of the best friends I've ever had outside of my brothers he's somebody that I know I can call on depend on and he's going to do whatever I need him to do and I same thing for him and um we you know we was in the dorms with each other he was my roommate so basically we grew into this to where we are with each other and we watch film with each other every day. We stay after every day, watch film with each other. We go to each other's house, you know, just hang out, have some laughs, enjoy ourselves. So having having someone like that to lean back on, especially whenever, oh, I'm tired now, now you got to deal with 225-pound <laughs> Miles Bailey running through the middle. Let's see how you can handle him. <laughs> He's got a big personality. I oh, chatted with him yeah. yesterday. Man. <laughs> that, that smile and that laugh, it's infectious. Nah, he, he's crazy. <laughs> that is a crazy man right there. I love him to death. He, he's he's a big part of this team in his own way. <laughs> you could tell when Miles Bailey's around. This, I, I've, I've told people, I, I know I'm, I come off as a homer because I, I follow you guys and I want you guys to win, but I really feel that this team – has got a chance to be special here in 2023. Uh, and, and 
the history shows Coach Mack took over in 2019, great season. 2021, great season. Here we are two years later. You kind of have that look-in-the-mirror moment of last year didn't go well, but you can address some of the mistakes and come into this year. How do you feel about the chances of this team having a great season? Just like you said, it's like a look-in-the-mirror type of deal that was last year. You know, the year before that, we we, we had our good year, 9-4 and four or whatever we went. Last year we went 4-8. and eight. So, like, after last season, the se our, our offseason didn't start two weeks after the game, three weeks after the game. Our offseason started as soon as that game ended. Everyone was hurt because we knew that we, we should have been in a bowl game. We knew that our record shouldn't have been what it had been. We were in a lot of close games that shouldn't even have been close, quite frankly. So um, our leaders with Robbie, Trey, Quezzy, me, Moretti, Whiteside, we all just – we looked in the mirror, and me, myself, I, there was a lot of times where I wasn't playing, so there wasn't nothing I could do, and I felt like that was my fault because I hadn't showed the coaches exactly what I was capable of, and um, I hadn't put myself in the best situations all of the time. So I felt like me, myself, I had let the team down. I know that each of each of our leaders, we all, you know, feel some sort of way how it's our fault at the end of the day. That's just, that's just the type of responsibility you take in that role. But um, this year, at coming into the season, it, the chemistry and the way that we've built, is, is I've never been a part of nothing like this. Even when I came in as a freshman, like, uh, I, could, I could just feel that we were just a, a good team my freshman year. We, we had chemistry, but we didn't, we didn't build the brotherhood like we did this year. You know, each practice, day by day, you could feel like that we were just so competitive. We'd bring it together at the end. It was all love. And it just felt like we were, like you said, building something special. And I, I totally agree with that. And I feel like our team, we're going to go out there and shock the world. Every time we see some quote or we're down in the rankings or stuff like that, it, it fuels us. And we do get mad about it. And I'm not going to say that, oh, we don't care about it. Because if you don't care about what people are talking about you and your team, you just have no pride. We take that very seriously. How much uh, do you guys know about just this first game? Because I know you guys focus one game at a time. The history of this series of uh, uh, Dan Lefevre and Antonio Brown going in there and the back-to-back -back wins in 91-92. Are you guys up and very aware of, of what this program has done in the past against Michigan State? To be honest, I wouldn't say that we – we are worried about the – we're not – we don't really look too much in what the other teams have done because we got to do it. We did that last year. That was our problem last year. We had looked at, all oh, the year before that, we we had whooped all these teams, so we should whoop all these teams this year. No, it doesn't work that way because just like how you, you don't want to be beat, those teams don't want to be beat. We're on scholarship. Those guys are on scholarship. We're D1. Those guys are D1. And we we can't keep – looking back and saying, oh, yeah, just because it happened in the past means it's going to happen in the present and the future. It just doesn't work that way. Everybody is constantly improving. So that's what we've got to do. we got to constantly improve every day. got to really take this step by step. And we've broken it down differently this year. The way that we practice is different. The way that we go about things has been different. Our training regime has been different. And it, it has helped us. It's helped us a lot. I feel a lot more healthier than what I've ever felt. I'm bigger now. And, you know, everybody's up on their weights. It's not just me. It's everybody. It's a, it's a whole team thing. And I feel like we don't need to look at our past or nothing. We need to look at ourselves right now in the mirror. And are we here yet? Are we are we in the moment? We got to stay in the moment. We can't go backwards. A couple more, and then I'll get you out of here because I know you, you, you got to get back here. But um, offensively, last year that was the setback. This year 
How have you seen the offense through fall camp and spring ball? How does it look improved to you? Well, last year it was it was a thing of us just being super young. We were young in a lot of spots, especially at our quarterback position. We was we we didn't really know what we were going what we were going to do going into a lot of our situations. And uh obviously we got plagued by injury. The injury bug came through and wiped us out basically in a lot of positions. But uh, this year, I feel like a lot of people have just, you know, taken authority. And we refuse to be the downfall of our team. And just just knowing that that's what everybody thinks and that's what we know because that's what it was, we're not going to let that happen again. I'm not going to let that happen again. The O-line, they're not going to let that happen again. We had uh, moved to Tavita over the O-line, and I tell you, as soon as they told me that Coach DeVito was going to the O-line room, I, oh I almost started Holes crying. for days. I almost started crying because <laughs> the type of coach he is, he's 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 on you. He He's not going to let you just keep making mistakes. And he's going to – he's not embarrassing you, but he's going to let you know. Hold you accountable. Yeah, he's going to hold you accountable. And that's what we need. We need people to be held accountable. And then we got Petrino moved to the uh, receiver room, and he's done – the best job I've seen with the receivers since I've been here. And, no, we don't have KP or Ja'Cory anymore. Those guys, they're gone in the league and doing their own things. But what he's done with the receivers we do have, he's up their game. He's held them to a standard that is going to help us win ball games. It's going to help open up the run game. And then in the running back room, we're going to we're gonna make plays. So. <laughs> I love it, man. This sounds great. All right, uh, two more for you. The first one is – through fall camp, you're, you're playing against each other. You're seeing the same guys every day. Who is that one guy defensively that you don't you don't necessarily want to get hit by? Who's, who's laying the wood out there? <laughs> I know there's one. I know yeah, you have pride. You're bigger. Who there, is it? There is there is always that one guy. <laughs> the dude that be laying the wood, we're going to just go with Moretti. He's <laughs> 250 in the, middle of the, in the middle, and he's playing linebacker. That's basically the running back of the defense. So that's the guy that we're going to have to get up out of the way every time we go in there. But uh, he's a hard dude to block. He's a hard dude to handle, you know. But, you know, me and him, we have our we have our moments. And uh, I'll give uh, I'll give credit to Trey because Trey he's a very conservative tackler, and if he does get his body on you, you're gonna feel it for a few days after that. You know, we have a we have a lot of good hitters on our team though. Good to have those guys on your side. Oh right? yeah, obviously, obviously. I'm glad I'm not going against. Them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the last question here is is the opportunities on the schedule. Every year, um, you guys go to these these bigger spots. You go to Michigan State, you go to Notre Dame, you've been to Oklahoma State. What is it like for you and, and your brothers to go in these giant stadiums where everybody's rooting against you and go out there and, and show what Central Michigan football is all about? It's um like you said, it's a great opportunity just for us to just for us to really get motivated. Just for us to be like, Oh, well, these guys didn't want us and this is all the stuff that they get. We gotta eat off the floor while they get the, the tables with the nice silverware and the nice china. So uh it's it's a great opportunity for us just to get that motivation. And just to get to the point in our minds where we're like, well, these guys are not better than us, just naturally gifted. They're not. We can do everything that they can do. We can we can sit in these games with them. We can make plays against these guys. If we can put full games together, not only will we stay in the games, but we will beat these guys. And that's over the past two years, that is what I've learned. Uh it's been the little it's been the little key details that we don't have in certain plays that will put us in bad situations, dropping punts penalties you know just personal fouls stuff like that that would just you know bite us 
and we can't keep we can't keep having that. So go, having them two them two seasons and going to them big the biggest stadiums in the country is just it's allowed me to learn a lot of things about the game. Man, I'm excited. You oh, guys sound <laughs> you sound ready to go. I'm and ready to I, go. I can imagine it. Uh, we are recording this, and uh, little over a week left to go. Marion Luke's Kingston's dad. Yes, sir. Wearing number nine out there. I can't wait to watch you this fall. Yes, sir. Can't wait to be out there. Thanks for your time, man. Well, it's that time of the year again. Central Michigan football about to start. So, what better man to talk to than Herb Duramity himself? How you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. Looking forward to the season. Well, this is uh, this is a historic game that we start with, and one that uh, you have many fond memories of. So take us back, because the first game was played in 1991. How did this series come about? <laughs> That's a good story. Yeah. Um, when I was the head football coach at the time, uh, I wanted to do something that would bring type of rec- recognition that we felt uh, Central Michigan football deserved. So initially, I actually contacted uh, Bo Schembechler at the University of Michigan because that's where I did my undergraduate work and uh, asked him at that point in time if um, he would schedule Central Michigan. And uh, he had to know Bo. He was pretty emphatic, uh, and he spoke with that staccato. He says, I'm not playing Central Michigan. And uh, he said, and I said, well, why is that? And he says, well, when I was at Miami, He said, I beat Northwestern, I beat Purdue, (laughs) and uh, so I'm not playing Central Michigan. I said, well, Bo, you know, you're not Northwestern or Purdue, but it would give us the type of recognition that we're looking for because we think we deserve that, uh, the opportunity to play you. And he said, if I were to schedule anybody, it would be Miami of Ohio. Well, then I... Changed my course and uh, met with uh, George Perlis. And, and this is really about like 1995, 96, certainly five years before we ever played him. And I w- went to George with a little bit different take. I said, George, you could do for Central Michigan what Notre Dame did for Michigan State University. Because at one point in time, before Notre Dame played Michigan State, they were really Michigan State College. Uh, or at least recognized that way. And um, and he, he was interested. He understood that point. Um, his only comment at that time was, well, if I play you, then I would have to play Western and I'd have to play Eastern. And I said, well, that's okay with me, but just play us first. And uh, and he was great about it. Um, when, we, when we played at that point in time, uh, they offered a two-year contract for us. Uh, 91 and 92, and, uh, and of course, the rest is, is history. All right, so let's start with that 1991 meeting because you guys are coming off a MAC championship. They're coming off a shared Big Ten championship. They're ranked 18th in the country. Odds makers didn't even put out a number because they thought Michigan State was going to win that game so much, and you guys go in there and throttle them and win 20-3. to Take us through that game. Well, um, we had a good football team, and we knew we had a, a good, solid football team. We had a veteran quarterback. In Michigan State, even though they had uh, had a great season the year before, uh, they were going to play us with a, a quarterback who had just transferred from UCLA. And uh, um, so he had, had really not had the experience uh, of playing for Michigan State. 
Uh, defensively, we had an outstanding game. And uh, our coaching staff, uh, Dick Flynn was our de defensive coordinator and the, and, and the assistants that we had uh, with on our defensive side of the ball would, just did a phenomenal job. And Jeff Bender was our quarterback. Uh, and Jeff was really a steady quarterback, a good team leader. We had a running back named Billy Smith, and, but what we really had for us was an offensive line that uh, that blocked extremely well. Billy carried the ball 40 times that game, I think, and he rushed for 134 yards. Now, there's uh, other people have had higher games as far as yardage is concerned, but in in terms of going against Michigan State and that tilt defense that that George Perlis had, um, he was the first back to rush over a hundred yards in a ball game against George's tilt defense. Now I shouldn't say that because he actually a person from Minnesota uh, rushed for over a hundred yards, but he had a a run of about seventy seven yards in there that went for a TD. So uh, really, we were able to hammer and, and control the clock and, uh, and really not give a, an offensive football team that Michigan State had with Tico Duckett. That, that name might be familiar. He was a Heisman candidate. And um, we just didn't give him that many opportunities to have the football. And as a result, uh, we walk away with a 17-3 win and uh, pretty impressive ball game. Everyone that has said that uh, has seen it. We hit with them. Uh, Billy Smith had that great uh, uh, ball carrying, but uh, uh, Kenny Ely had that touchdown pass that a lot of people always remember and talk about. So that, yeah, that was uh, that was a fun win. The only thing I would say about that, Adamant, is. Uh, it, it is as excited as we were to win, and, and we were confident that we could play with them. But as excited and, and uh, as we were to win, we came back to Mount Pleasant. Nobody was here. We got off that bus, and and uh, there was nobody to greet you, except our athletic director Ted Coy at that time. And uh, I said, Ted, where is, where are all the people? He said, they're still in East Lansing celebrating. <laughs> and, uh, and that was pretty much the case, yeah. I think that could be the case for, for if it happens this year or future games because there's a lot of Chippewas that like to, to make that visit down to Spartan Stadium. Specifically after that game, there's an iconic photo of you being carried off the field by your team. What do you remember about uh, just the excitement level of your guys after the final seconds ticked off and you win 20-3? to Oh, that was that was an emotional part, but but you know what? Probably the part that I always talk about the most is uh, we, we were ready to play. There was no doubt, and we made a big deal about us. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that uh, we we did as a football team. We did not go down the night before and stay in a hotel in in East Lansing, because I know if we stayed in a hotel, then we would have a lot of our alumni being at the same hotel and. And they would be going up to the players and they would be saying, well, we're really excited about you playing here and hope you can give them a good game. Well, I didn't need them to have that kind of recognition at that time. They, they needed to just be concentrating on that game. So we bust down on the day of the game. But what I always remember is the first time we had the ball, I think we 
picked up maybe a couple first downs, and then we had a punt to them. And um, at that time when we did it, our offensive center, Art Drosky, who really had an outstanding game, and, and Art comes out of the game, and he comes up to me on the sideline, and he says to me, he says, these guys are pretty good. And uh, I thought that was pretty common. You know, it, it, I mean, his whole point went, hey, we're going to have to play pretty good ball because these, these guys aren't bad, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's one of the things you remember. And then the whole thing about playing them, I mean, it was just the fact that uh, we, we walked in there with, at that point in time, with a football p team that didn't have one player that was actually um, recruited by uh, Michigan State. I mean, uh, I think we had one player that had a visit to, to, to their campus. The rest of them were, were people that were pretty much bypassed. And uh, as it turned out, uh, that we had some pretty good football players. And you showcased that again in 1992. I mean, you're not going to be able to surprise him after 1991. You go in there and win big. you got to play him two more years in 92 and 93. And 92, it's a tighter game, 24-20, but you guys found a way to win again down there at Spartan Stadium. Yeah, that was interesting because um, shortly after we won that game, um, I was in my office, uh, and I got a phone call from Clarence Underwood. Now, we were scheduled to play him in 92, but uh, Clarence um, calls me, and he says, uh, Herb, we have an open date on 93. Um, we'd like to... Uh, offer Central Michigan a chance to to play us and I said good we'll take it and um, without really checking very much on it um, and and before I hung up on Clarence I said you know George must figure he's going to win 92 I didn't say that but he wanted to play in 93 so he could win the rubber game mm -hmm. and, um, and I said that to Clarence I said George must want to win the rubber game pretty bad and he kind of chuckled at the other end, and that was the end of the call. And the people might remember this. Or I went into Dave Kylitz, who was our athletic director at the time, and I said, Dave, I, I've just scheduled Michigan State for 93. And he says, oh, when, when do you have them? Um, uh, and he said, well, the first thing he said, we already have 11 games. And, and I said, well, we'll have to tell Tulsa that we're going to play Michigan State in Tulsa instead of Tulsa. He said, well, what's the date? And he gave me the date. And we, at that time, we had the MAC conference schedule ahead of time. And, and the date that we were given was the date that we had a MAC game scheduled. And I said, well, we'll have to call the MAC office and get that changed. <laughs> and, and that's how we were able to get the, uh, the, the 93 game. But in 92, Joe Youngblood walked in there. And a lot of people don't realize the outstanding game that he had. He threw 17 for 22. Um, a lot of people don't remember me throwing 22 passes in one game, but uh, <laughs> he was 17 for 22, hit some big passes, hit, and we just we played a real complete football game and, and beat a team that was ready to play us. So... Um, um, yeah, that was that was a great moment for us. And then 1993, I know Michigan State ended up winning, I think, a game, uh, high-scoring, like 48-34 game, but that was a tight one in the second half, 27-27 from what I remember. That's exactly right. We er, we um, we lost Joe Youngblood uh, because the week before, 
and we started Eric Timph. And uh, and Eric was the quarterback that uh, won the, was the quarterback when uh, Central won the MAC championship for Coach Dick Flynn. But uh, that was his first start. He had thrown probably the previous year maybe a total of seven passes. <laughs> and uh, uh, he ran for over 100 yards in that game, and he threw for well over 100 yards. And as you pointed out, Adam, in, in the fourth quarter, we had him 27-27 tie, and we were kicking off to them. And I remember telling Tom Curley, who was our offensive coordinator in the press box, I said, if we stop him this time, we're going to win again. And I really felt that we couldn't stop him. And that's why the score got, uh, as you pointed out, might have been 48-34. Have you talked to or had any conversations with George over the years? I mean, you guys talk in the 80s about scheduling it, and then you win two out of three. I mean, <laughs> that must have been wild to think about that. He agreed to schedule these, and you go in there and win the series and beat him a couple times. Well, I, I, knew, jo I knew George for a long time. I, mean, I knew George when he – when I was a high school coach, and, and uh, George was a head football coach at St. Ambrose in the, in, in the Detroit area. Uh, so, uh, and, I, and of course, I certainly followed him after he took over for uh, when he had, had that opportunity at Michigan State. And at, at different times, I, I would go down and, uh, and meet with he and his staff and, and pretty much clinic Th different things that we were doing because he would he would like to do that he he was always interested in what people were doing we weren't scheduled to play him at that point I didn't do this once we were scheduled but that all led to the chance to go and talk to him about the possibility of playing so yeah I think we had a pretty good relationship 2009 from what I've read it's Butch Jones's team there but you talked to the team before they went down to Michigan State do you remember that Yes, probably do, and um, but he had that team ready to play. It was mm -hmm. the same type of thing, and, and Dan LaFear, uh, uh, you know, just took over. We played a, another outstanding game. Uh, I, I, I should go back. Someone might appreciate this one because it, it was similar, but I did not have to use it the same way. We had a, we had a running back who – who uh, played his high school football at Mount Pleasant High School, Jim Jim Sandy. And Jim Sandy was a fullback for us when Charlie Markey's on our Hall of Fame team. Um, uh, and, J and Jim was an outstanding fullback. But uh, he would, I would uh, have what I called the chapel program, but we would bring back former players to talk to our team before we would play all of our home games. And this not being a home game when we played state, uh, it was close enough by that we could bring Jim in. And uh, so Jim's opportunity with the team, I'll never forget this. Uh, he, uh, he, he used the, the biblical story of uh, David and Goliath. And, um, and, he, and he spoke of that, comparing us to, you know, David. And, and uh, uh, as the players left at the end of the, the, the talk, and they left the room. He had a rock that he gave to each one of our players, and they all put it in their pocket. I still have that rock, and uh, it, it was it was appropriate because it was what it was all about. I mean, you, were you going to go there and slay the giant, or or what a lot of people thought were the giant? 
So I think Lafayette took, took that same type of challenge on. And personally, they, they, they really wanted to prove that there's another Central Michigan team that can, can, can beat the people in East Lansing, and, and he certainly did. What do you think it is, the reasoning? Why, why is history repeated itself three times where no other directional school in Michigan in over, I think, like 100 years have beaten either Michigan or Michigan State, yet CMU in the last 30-plus years have done it three times? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I, I think, um, as, as it pointed out, I, I don't, Michigan State went on to, to go against uh, – other Mac schools, but I don't think there's been a Mac school that has uh, uh, defeated Michigan State. Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. I think number one, uh, our teams, at least my teams, were predominantly Michigan players, and so that they they knew who they were playing, um, <laughs> and they 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 understood uh, what it meant to to be able to go on the field with with the with the Spartans. I. I remember the first time we played them, uh, it was kind of unique in, in the room. We had one of our coaches was concerned that we weren't going to go down and practice on Friday in the stadium before the Saturday game, feeling that the awe of walking into a 75,000-seat stadium would, would really, uh, you know, impact our players from from performing. And so I listened to what, what he had to say. And when I had our team meeting, I, I said to, the, to them, uh, um, we're not going down and staying that Friday night. In fact, we're dying, driving down the, the day of the game to play it. And uh, I, I think there's some concern by some people. I didn't mention the coach, but there's some pe- concern that, uh, that, the, that you might be in awe of the stadium and it would affect your performance. So I'm asking that. And you players, uh, before you leave the room, each drop me off a quarter, and I'll get, um, I'll buy a postcard with a picture of Michigan State <laughs> Garden Stadium, and you can look at it and be prepared before we ever play them. <laughs> and of course, that that was it. I mean, it, they all kind of laughed, and that's what he wanted. You wanted them to really have the feeling that we belong, and uh, what we were doing is we felt. Uh, not only for the team and the people that we had, but the people who've represented us in the past. I mean, uh, the history and tradition here from when Coach well, Coach Kelly, and then followed up by certainly by Coach Kramer and the '74 championship team. Uh, there's just a lot of history and tradition, uh, so there's a lot of pride, and it was our chance to display it. I think that that's that meant an awful lot to us. Do you think it's pretty cool that that tradition of going down day of will continue this year? Jim McElwain says, we're going down day of. We're not staying Thursday night. Yeah, I kind of like that idea. <laughs> it, it, you, know, I, I, you know, it was almost like we were defiant. Uh, and, uh, and, and that was – we had one in, interesting part. As, um, might have been the second time we played them. But it wasn't the first time, but the second time we got caught in a traffic jam. We either got a little <laughs> bit, and we're right out on Trowbridge Road trying to come off Trowbridge to get to, to the stadium, and uh, we're, we're nailed. And so I got out of the bus, and I was able to get one of the the police officers on it, and I said, I, said, I hate to say this, but... Uh, 
this football team is supposed to play in about 25 minutes, and um, and we're we're at a dead standstill here, and somebody's going to be pretty disappointed. <laughs> he said, "We'll take care of it." And uh, that's boy, more flashing lights went on, more cards got moved off to the side, and we got to the stadium in time to be able to warm up and, and go at it. Good thing, my goodness. Well, uh, this team here in 2023, have you had a chance to to go out and take a peek? What do you think of them so far? Well, I like them. I, first of all, I like the job that Coach Mack does and, and the staff and the players that represent it, uh, I'm proud to say that, uh, uh, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm a Chippewa, and they are too. Um, I, we, have, we have, I think, some absolutely outstanding players. Um, and, and we have competition. I mean, I watched the quarterbacks uh, in the last scrimmage. And not to put anything against the people I had in the past, but any one of the three that I watched it for any length of time, um, <laughs> I'd gladly have them as a starter. They, uh, they're impressive. And backs run hard. People come off the ball. Um, yeah, he's got that football team going where he wants it to go. Um, I, <laughs> I get concerned when I read uh, uh, Coach uh, uh Tucker at Michigan State saying that uh, this is the best football team that I've had since I've been here, the most talented, most this, most that. And, well, that, that kind of makes you not sleep as good, you know. <laughs> but uh, um, they, know, they know they're going against, a, uh, you know, a, a formidable opponent, somebody that uh, – but, but we have the type of talent and we certainly have the coaching – that uh, that netball game, if we execute and do a lot of things well, and and you have to get a break or two at there somewhere, you know, somewhere you got to get that big stop and or make that big play, uh, they can come out on top. Yeah, it seems like a year where both Michigan State and Central Michigan, program-wise, are kind of flying under the radar. They're both coming off disappointing seasons last year, but I I don't know if a lot of people are talking about each team, and I think both teams are going to be pretty good here in 2023. Yeah, I feel that way too. Um, I know they put it. They really put in a, a great winter program, and the spring was impressive. Um, uh, that team, will, our team, will be prepared to play. And I, I don't know Coach Tucker, but I can imagine that uh, Michigan State, be, just because of the history. I mean, if you go and talk to anybody from East Lansing, um, there's not, not a lot of warm feeling uh, toward the, the Chippewas. They don't like seeing the maroon and gold, I can imagine. Where are you watching the game at? Uh, television. I'm, I'm not going to be at the game. Um, <laughs> it, as it turns out, uh, uh, my son is getting married that day. Oh, very cool. So um, it, it becomes another priority. However, we've got it worked out so that during the reception, the TVs will be out there working, and we'll be able to see it that way. Quietly watching with no reaction, I'm <laughs> sure, right? Yeah, just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're very thankful you, you came on here, Coach, and, and can't wait to see this game again, the 12th meeting between Central Michigan and Michigan State. Listen, there's a little history here of you won in 92, Michigan State then won four straight, CMU won again in 2009, Michigan State is now won four straight, Michigan State is breaking in a new quarterback again, which is how two of the previous wins have come, and this will be the third time 
that Michigan State opens the season against CMU. Two of those losses to Central Michigan, they open the season. So there is some alignments that maybe history repeats itself again. Who knows? Well, we're all looking forward to that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, Herb. Okay. Great stuff right there from Herb Duramity, the legend recounting some of those great memories back in 1991 and 1992. And enjoyed the end there where he said, you know, we've we've got plans this Friday. We've got a wedding, but he's going to make sure he keeps tabs on the score and checks in with how Central Michigan does here in 2023 in Game 1 in East Lansing. And, wow, Marion Lukes, you talk about time management, the maturation process that it must take to – have a youngster like he's got, but also trying to go to school, go to class, and also be great on the football field. The student-athlete part is so time-consuming, and Marianne Luke's able to balance it all. So really appreciate him in about a two-hour gap. He stuck around for 40, 45 minutes to, to chat with us. So best of luck to him this year in Central Michigan football, and best of luck to all the student-athletes as they're now back School is in session, and that means we get to watch those great individuals compete and those teams come together. All right, well, in a couple of weeks, we're going to choose a different sport, a different student athlete, or perhaps a coach, and we'll get to hear their story on Chatting Chip Waz. Thanks so much for sticking with us here on this first episode. I know it was a little bit longer with two guests, but uh, really excited to talk about these individuals and their unique stories. So have a great week, and of course, Fire up chips.